book of Exodus, chapter 11. And as you're turning there, I just want to read a verse from Psalm 72, verses 18 and 19. It says, May the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonders, be praised. May His glorious name be praised forever. The whole earth is filled with His glory. What an awesome opportunity that God gives us every week to worship Him and to lift up His name. And, Lord, and just to, uh, to know that the Lord is, is with us. And uh, I hope that encourages you every week. And just to think about what He has done and who He is and how He works in our lives. Over the last uh, several weeks, we've been kind of doing a review coming up to the book of, or I'm sorry, to the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. We're not quite there yet. Um, I've been doing some reviews, some of the highlights that have taken place in the book of Exodus. Next week, we're going to kind of take just a little bit of a break. Uh, Pastor Jim will be sharing kind of a walk through the Old Testament. Um, If you remember way back to the very first lesson that we brought back in Exodus chapters 1, 2, and 3, how the children of Israel actually got in bondage. Well, kind of forget once in a while, how did they get there to begin with? Well, we're going to look at that just a little bit next week. We're going to kind of do a kind of a walkthrough, and Jim's going to do that, so I encourage you to be here, especially next week. He's going to kind of draw that line that goes through the Old Testament. So I encourage you to be here and be part of that. But as we left off in the Exodus uh, last week, we had just witnessed some of the greatest miracles uh, Scripture records in, in the miracles of uh, uh, the ten plagues. And I love to read and learn how God performs the miracles, and it reveals several things to me. Uh, in fact, miracles to me prove the existence of God. You know, when God does something, it's more than just chance. It's more than coincidence. It's more than happenstance. It's not an accident. And so, to me, miracles really prove the existence of God. Number two, miracles reveal His power. And when you think about the very things that God alone can do that no one else can do, it just goes to show how powerful God is. And by the way, guys, if I could just put a plug in it, last week we talked about the omnipotence of God in men's Bible study. God is so powerful. And uh, let me encourage you this coming Thursday night, 645, Men's Bible Study again, as we look at more of the attributes and characteristics of God. So number two, miracles reveal the power of God. Number three, miracles give me hope that He will be with me each time I need Him. You know, if God is so miraculous, and He is, and He's so powerful to do those things, and He is, I can count on Him to know that He is going to do what's best for me in every circumstance that I face. So number three, they give me hope that He'll be with us. And He knows what's best for us. And number four, miracles confirm that His Word is true. As you look at it, and as we asked in, in, in one of the middle of our series here in review, that if we believe that any part of God's Word is not true, why should we believe any of it? If we believe all of it, we realize that everything within it is true. Everything that He said happened, happened. It's not a story. It's not just a, a, a fairy tale. It's not a wise tale. It is something that actually happened in the course of history, right? So as we look at these things, we realize that God is so powerful, and, and it just confirms that God's Word is true, that what He says is true. So in Exodus chapter 11, Moses warned Pharaoh of one final plague, and it was the death of the firstborn. In fact, I want to read just a uh, portion of Exodus chapter 11. It's not a very long chapter, so if you would, Exodus chapter 11, I want to read the following verses here. Um, so follow along as I go. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring once more, or one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you out of here. 
And that's an interesting phrase. For so long, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the question was asked even last week in discussion, well, why didn't he just like bring one nasty, terrible plague, and then after that, then he just wanted to get rid of them. He just gets sick and tired of them and go. But you realize that God has a method and a madness behind everything he does. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't just an accident of how he did it. Every plague that he brought was an affront to one of the key gods of Egypt. So God made sure that before it was all said and done, before all the before Pharaoh would get to the point where he'd drive them out, he attacked every one of the main gods of Egypt. So, God had a plan. God had a method behind what he was doing. And God says here in his word, when he lets you go, he's not just going to say, okay, fine, get out of here. He's going to drive them out of there. I mean, he wants rid of them at that point. So he goes on here. He will drive you out of here. Now verse 2. Now announce to the people that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold jewelry. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. I mean, it's not every day you go up to somebody and say, give me your gold and your silver and give me your precious metal and they're going to do it. But God is going to work this thing out in such a way that when he drives the children of Israel out of there, they are going to find favor in the sight of the Egyptians and they are going to give them willingly their gold and silver, as we find out happens. So, verse 3, The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and the man Moses was highly regarded in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. Now remember, once again, in the beginning, as all these things are taking place, Pharaoh did not like Moses. And all of a sudden, he's going to have favor in the sight of the Egyptian officials. Verse 4, So Moses said, This is what Yahweh says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, to the firstborn of the servant girl who is behind the millstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Every firstborn is going to die. Now remember, throughout this whole series we're being reminded of of a couple key things. And one of the key things that we're reminded of is this. That God wants His children free so that they can do what? Worship Him. That's a key phrase. God wants His children to worship Him. Now, who worships God? Those who are His children, right? Even throughout the New Testament, God wants people to worship Him. And always, as sin holds us in bondage, God creates a way for freedom. God creates a way of escape. God creates a way to draw close to Him in a relationship with Him. And we said over and over, Moses is as a Savior to the children of Israel as Jesus Christ is a Savior to the world. Not on the same level, but He is going to be a Savior to the people. And so as the firstborn is prophesied that they will die, God creates a way of salvation for them, so to speak. So, verse 6, Then there will be a great cry of anguish throughout all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether man or beast, not even a dog will start snarl, so that you may know that Yahweh makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So he brings this final plague on the Egyptians, and he lets it pass over the rest. Verse 8, All these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me, saying, Leave, you, you, uh, you, that all, you and all the people who follow you. After that I will leave. And, and he left Pharaoh's presence in fierce anger. So you see, God has prophesied some things that are, that are going to happen. And you're going to find out in the next chapter that they do happen. So once again, proving God's word is true. 
Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his land. But see, God is about to do some interesting things here. So, in this final plague, the death of the firstborn is going to happen. So, number one, God instructs Moses to warn Pharaoh of the impending judgment. Pharaoh will let you go. In fact, he will eventually let you go. And when he does, he's going to drive you out of there. Number two, God instructs Moses to ask the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry. Verse two. And it's interesting is that they're going to find favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And then number three, God gave people favor in the sight, just as he had said. And they began to fear, be feared by the people and by Pharaoh's officials. We saw that in verse three. So Moses had a response, and it was this. He did everything that God had told him to do. We said over and over, why would God send Moses in there and say, I want you to demand the children go free, but at the same time, hey, understand this, it's not going to happen just yet. God has a plan. And when he comes to the point where he goes in there and God's timing is perfect, he's going to drive them out of there. It wasn't Moses' job to question how God was going to do it. It wasn't Moses' job to question the timing of when he would do what he would do. It was Moses' job to simply obey what God had told him to do. Question, has that changed in our culture today? No. The bottom line is God still expects us to follow in obedience, whether we understand it, whether we agree with it, whether we like it. Our job is simply to obey God. And we see this, that God sends miracles in this soul situation so that he and the Egyptians, or so that the Egyptians would understand who God is and how powerful he is, and so that God would be worshipped. And so Pharaoh has to come to this point where he believes that God is who he claims to be. He is I am. He is the one with all power. He is the one. But even through the plagues, God's plan was to bring these people out of Pharaoh's bondage and into a land that flowed with milk and honey, a place where they could worship freely. But knowing that, knowing that we as his people would fall into sin, he provided a perfect plan of salvation, that once again we might bring him glory. You know, I was reading in Ephesians chapter 1. I want to just quickly read this verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it says this, we have also received an inheritance in Him, predestined according to the purpose of the One who works out everything in agreement with the decision of His will, so that we, who had already put our hope in the Messiah, might bring praise to His glory. Doesn't God know what He's doing? Every time? Doesn't God have a plan to be at work in our life? Every time? He absolutely does. And so we're going to see as we lay this foundation of the tenth plague and the final plague that God is working out everything that He said He was going to do. And we see that it come into fruition as we come into Exodus chapter 12. And we see that this salvation is offered. And even though it's offered today, it will be rejected by some. Some will never believe what God says. Some will never take this book as, as the truth of the Word of God. And there are always consequences to pay. We looked at even in uh, Romans chapter 1, 
in verse 20 and 21, last week in Bible study, that the entire world is without excuse. We look around, we see everything that God has done in creation, and it has to point to one fact, that there is a God in heaven who has created all things, and man is without excuse. Man has the ability to understand and to know God, but man in his sinfulness rejects a holy and righteous God. And even though they have an opportunity to be saved, even though they have an opportunity for the firstborn to live, some of them reject God's Word. And that hasn't changed even today. Let's look at Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's households. One animal per household. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to, uh, are to uh, be shared, basically. So, we come down to verse 5. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house where they eat them. They are to eat the meal that, that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Now think about this just for a moment. These first eight verses. God's plan to save the firstborn was very clear. If you will follow these steps, the death of the firstborn will evade you. But there are always going to be those who don't take God at His word. There was a process to be followed. And there are many who don't want to follow that process. You see, God has to be God. And God, in His power, will ultimately be vindicated by His just justice. He's a just God. And there's interesting things here that happen. So He says, first of all, a lamb or a goat, a year old, if your family's small, you may share it with the one next to you. But it's not to be boiled. It's not to be, uh, you know, just eaten raw or half cooked. It must be roasted over a fire. You must eat all of it at twilight. Every bit of it. And what is not will be thrown back into the fire and consumed. He had a way. He had a process. He had a plan to deliver the firstborn. And there are those who didn't believe. So he says in verse, let me go back to verse 8. They are to eat the meat that night, they should eat it, roast it over the fire, along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. What are the bitter herbs? We'll talk about that in a minute, but that is just a reminder of the bitterness of Egypt's bondage. It says verse 9, Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roast it over a fire. Its head, as well as its legs and inner organs, do not let any of it remain until morning. You must burn up any part of it that does remain before morning. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am Yahweh. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The the blood of the houses where you are staying will be the distinguishing mark for you. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You know, everything that he does. The plague of blood defeated the gods of the Nile. The plague of locusts defeated the field gods of the harvest. 
The plague of darkness defeated the gods of the sun, sky, and so on and so forth. Everything he did had purpose and meaning. So God sends his one final plague in the death of the firstborn. And the sentence of death evaded no one that was in Egypt. All the previous plagues evaded the Israelites, but this final one, think about this. The sentence of death. And let me ask you this. When Jesus Christ has a plan to bring salvation to the firstborn, there was a plan to follow. Man could not do it his own way. Man could not say, well, I understand this plague is coming, but I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer my, my gold, my silver. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to offer anything that I have a value in, and that's going to be good enough. God will accept that. No, He won't. God had a plan. And in today, as we look at God's Word, God still has a plan. And man cannot go to God on his own terms. You see, in our culture, we want a God of our own choosing. We want a God of our own making. We want a God that we're comfortable with. We want a God that will, obviously, because He loves us, He'll accept me for who I am. Yes, He accepts us for who we are, but we can't accept Him as who He is until we know Him. And if we understand who He is, we understand that He is a holy and righteous God that has to deal with sin justly and rightly. And today, man cannot come to God on on our own terms. We still have to, A, admit that we're a sinner. B, we still have to believe that Jesus Christ had died on the cross. He was the final sacrifice. He paid the ultimate price by shedding His blood on the cross of Calvary. And C, we confess our sins and call on Him to be our Savior. No other way. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that what? Not of yourselves. There is not anything, not any one of us could do to, to, to join ranks in heaven apart from trusting in Him completely. Nothing. Man cannot come to God on his own terms. God has laid out how man is to come to Him. The Egyptians were not the only people wrapped up in their sin. The children of Israel were guilty of rejecting God's Word and His prophet. The children of Israel were also guilty of falling into the trap of serving some of the gods of Egypt. In fact, I know this because it tells me in Joshua chapter 24... You remember the familiar verses there. But in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, it says this, Therefore fear the Lord and worship Him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods of your fathers, worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and worship Yahweh. There was an exhortation to get rid of the gods that some of the Egyptians followed, and that even some of the Israelites, because they lived in the land for 430 years, began to follow and put their trust in. He said, get rid of those gods and follow Yahweh alone. And in verse 15 he says, but if, it doesn't please, uh, but if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship. The gods of your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship Yahweh. There is a decision to be made. Which god are we going to follow? See, many of them were wanting to follow the gods of Egypt. And through every one of the plagues, God broke down the gods of Egypt. And we have to understand that even in today's culture, there are gods, but they cannot compare to our Heavenly Father God. This plague was different. And more than the point of God's wrath coming against the Egyptians, all of them were under the judgment. And today, all are under the judgment of being sinners. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And this plague, however, didn't come without a way of escape. God is a God of mercy. And he provided a way of atonement. And it was simply putting the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel of the house. And he says, and when I come, when I pass over you, I see the blood, I'll pass. It was to be a perfect sacrifice. It was to atone for their sin. We could take the time and look into Leviticus chapter 22, but we'll not do that. The Passover was something unique. Then God continued to show them what to do with the lamb once it was killed. Roasted over the fire. In this specific way, eat it. Eat all of it. But if by chance you don't eat all of it, burn it before morning. Then God continued to show them what to do next. Their bitter herbs would remind them of the bitterness they experienced under the Egyptian. The unleavened bread would serve as a reminder of how they fled Egypt's land in the haste. And God was concerned about the details of the redemption. Think about this. He said, how are they to eat it? Eat it roasted over the fire. Eat it how? With your sandals on. Eat it how? With your staff in hand. Why? Because when Pharaoh gets to the point when God's timing is perfect, he's not just going to say, okay, you can leave. Remember this? He's going to drive them out of there. Get out of here now and take everything with you. Leave nothing behind. Get out of here. He says, when you eat, you eat with your sandals on and rod in hand. So when that time comes, you're ready to go. I wonder how many of us are truly ready to go if Christ were to come today and say, I'm calling you home. You know, it's amazing. Some of the Israelites didn't want to go. Why? Because it was just easier. I'm here. Yeah, I don't like the circumstances. I don't like the Egyptian taskmasters. I don't really like the slavery. But it's comfortable. I'm secure here. And these gods, well, I've been here long enough. Many of them would have been quite content to be, quote-unquote, Egyptianized. And many people in our own culture today, in our quote-unquote Christian culture, are content to be here. Oh, well, God will come when He comes. You know, I, okay, I know there's some hyper-spiritual people who really look forward to it, but, you know, I'm, I'm okay. That blows my mind. Do we not look forward to the coming of Christ as God's children? Do we not look forward to what He's going to do? Do we not look forward to the trumpet sound? Do we not look forward to what God is going to do? He said, I want to get you out of this land and bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey, where the grapes of the vessel grow. I mean, they're so huge, you've got to put them on clusters between two men on a staff. God has something better. This life cannot compare to what is the, what the life that is going to come. And yet so many of us are content to be here for, oh well, however long it takes. I wonder if we're ready. I asked a question in men's Bible study last week. Every week I ask two questions. Kind of get to know each other. What's the weirdest food you ate in your lifetime? If you had a house that was on fire, what's the one thing you would grab? Um, I asked a couple of different questions every week. Just kind of get everybody talking a little bit. Good idea. I asked this question last week. You know? If you knew Christ was going to come in a little while, what would you do differently? What would you do differently? I mean, if you knew God was going to sound the trumpet and 
7.15, it's going to happen. What would you do different between now and then? I don't know. I, I like Don Bovard's answer. Man, I want to gather with other Christians and begin to celebrate because we're, we're going home. Other people, man, I want to tell everybody what's going to happen in just a little while. Man, I've got, I got, I got, I got to get with my family and let them know that Christ is coming and they need to trust in Jesus. And yet, two words of Scripture... Proverbs 27 one says, Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And yet, secondly, God says, No man knows the day nor the hour. He says, I'm going to come as a thief in the night. Nobody looks forward to a thief breaking into your home at night. It usually happens when you're not there, when you least expect it. God says, Be ready. He says, There's going to be a moment here in just real shortly, that Pharaoh's going to drive you out. You better have your sandals on. You better have your staff in hand. You better be ready to move. And can we say in the New Testament, at some point, God's going to come. And we're going to hear the trumpet sound. And I hope you're ready. I hope the house is in order, so to speak. I hear people say over, over a period of time, I'll get more serious later. I'll start serving God more faithfully, more committedly later. When my kids are grown, when they're out of the house, you know, when, when I retire, I'll give more time to God. Whatever. You, you, you use the illustration and the, the excuse that you're comfortable with. God wants obedience now. He doesn't want us to wait. So they have this Passover, and they have this process that they had to go to. And he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And every year on the Day of Atonement, God provided a lamb or similar sacrifice for Israel. And the high priest would bring an animal into the presence of God and make sacrifice for the sin offering. Leviticus chapter 16 describes that. But what God did was provide a substitute sacrifice to die for his people. And you can see the progression. First, God provided a lamb to serve as a representative for a larger group of people. And at first there was a lamb for one person, Abraham and Isaac. Then God provided a lamb for the family, the first Passover. But then finally God provided a sacrifice for the entire nation. And ultimately God provides a perfect lamb as the final sacrifice to the world. That's when John the Baptist says, Look, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. John 1.29 Notice the perfect how perfect was his sacrifice? Well, 1 Peter 2.22 says there is no sin or deceit found in him. None. Can you imagine? See, in the Old Testament it said it had to be a lamb that was a year old and it had to be perfect. It had to be without spot, without blemish. It had to be a perfect lamb. And we go to the New Testament we see the lamb of God who says without deceit, no guilt, no, no sin in him. Hebrews 4 verse 15 Tempted in every way like yet, as man yet without sin. Perfect, spotless. John 19.6, there was no basis or charge found against him because he was perfect. He was the perfect lamb. Just like God provided a way of salvation for the Egyptians and the Israelites, he has also provided a way of salvation for us. Isn't that awesome? That God would love, just as he did to the children of Israel, love them so much to provide a way of salvation for them. And in the New Testament, for the world, 
sacrifice in His Son Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. We come into Exodus 14. You see crossing over and where God, God's Word begins to happen. In uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 28, it says, Now at midnight the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the livestock. And during the night Pharaoh got up, he along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't an house without someone dead. And he summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get up! Leave my people, both you and the Israelites. Go and worship Yahweh of you as, as you have asked. Take even your flocks and your herds that you asked and leave me and also bless me. He said, I don't want you to just go. I want you to go, but bless me before you go. And now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them out quickly. Just as God said it would happen. So he said, that's why I want you to eat with your sandals on. That's why I want your rod in hand. Because when it happens, he's not just going to say, go. He's going to drive you out. You better be ready. So the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country. For they said, we're all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their kneading bowls wrapped them up in clothes in their shoulders. And the Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing and the Lord gave the people such favor in the Egyptian sight that they gave them what they had requested in this way they plundered the Egyptians just as he said would happen you're going to ask for gold and silver and you're going to find favor in their sight then all of a sudden it happens they're giving it to them everything that God said would happen is now happening verse 37 and the Israelites traveled from Ramses to Sukkoth and about 600,000 soldiers on foot beside their families. An ethnically diverse crowd also went up with them, along with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. And the people baked the dough they had brought out of Egypt into unleavened loaves, since they had no yeast. For when they had been driven out of Egypt, they could not delay and had not prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on the same day, all the Lord's divisions went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of vigil in honor of the Lord, because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. And this same night is in the honor of the Lord, a night vigil for all the Israelites throughout their generations. And it begins to give them instructions for the Passover. You come into chapter 13, there's consecration, there's commitments, there's renewed vows. And you're going to find, even in this, there's a struggle. They're now beginning to taste their freedom. But with freedom comes responsibility. And the responsibility is sometimes difficult. And you're going to see that as we come into this next phrase. And we're almost up to where we're going to start off or with, the ten, with the Ten Commandments. But as we come into chapter 14 and 15 in the next couple weeks, I want us to get an idea that God is a God of justice. He's a God of mercy and grace. But He's also a God of justice. A God to be worshipped. A God to be obeyed. A God to be followed. And we should never forget the work that God does in our lives. That was the whole purpose of the Passover, to remember what God was doing, what He had done. I hope we never forget the work that God's doing in our lives. That he's an awesome, powerful God. 
Remember this. God had a process. And the process still requires us coming to God on His terms, not our own. And when we do that, God will obviously honor and bless the obedience. But if we try to do it in our own way, there's going to be disappointment. There's going to be struggle and failure. We should learn that from this. It's not just a neat story. It's a powerful story, really, of God's mercy and grace. How God blessed them despite their sinfulness. And that's still the same God we serve today. Let's pray.